Greetings, fellow Dungeon Masters. Welcome back to the Knights and Nerds podcast. This is Tim, and I want to say thank you very much for listening to this. Today we have another campaign planning episode, and I am joined by Connor McMahon, who is a longtime listener and a wonderful supporter of the podcast. And we had a couple of really great conversations, actually over two days. Uh, So this episode is two separate conversations, and I think you will hear when the changeover happens. And I want to give the obligatory spoiler warning that we're, of course, talking about stuff that has happened and talking about stuff that will happen definitely and stuff that might happen. Who knows? So if you don't want spoilers, you know, avoid this episode and maybe come back to it once the campaign is fully done, whenever that happens to be. And if you too are wanting to offer some input or ask questions about what's happening in this campaign, you can go to our Facebook page, Knights and Nerds Podcast, go to where it says groups, join the Dungeon Master only group, and we talk uh, every so often about what's going on in the game in that group. So feel free to join and tell me all the things that I'm doing wrong, because I could really use some help. And now, my conversation with Connor McMahon. Uh, so Connor, thank you so much for joining me on this campaign planning episode and for uh, supporting us on Kickstarter. I mean, that was amazing. Hopefully, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> hopefully, uh, hopefully the result has been worth it. I think I think the audio has been better since we've gotten our new gear. I've definitely noticed a difference. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. So uh, what we'll do here is I'll just do like a quick recap of of the stuff that hasn't come out yet. Uh, because like by the time this episode comes out, it'll be sometime in December, I believe. And some other episodes will have come out by then. So I'll just do a quick recap, and then we'll sort of go through a few uh, things that we said that we were going to talk about. But uh, before we do that, can I ask you, how long have you been DMing Dungeons & Dragons? Uh, so I started uh, DMing... About two years ago. Okay. My brother and I listened to a podcast, and we finished it and decided to uh, start playing. So, Which podcast been, was that, can I ask? The Adventure Zone. The, the Macroy Brothers. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, I listened to that one and thoroughly enjoyed it. I haven't yeah. listened to the new one. I think they just started a new one not long ago. A new sort of uh, chapter of that. But, cool. Uh, cool, yeah. I Like, what got me in when I was... Uh, uh, sort of in between, I was listening to Nerd Poker. I don't know if you've ever heard that one, but uh, they were playing fourth edition, and then I got in when it was still fourth edition, and then fifth edition came out, and I was like, "Wow, this is this is so much easier." <laughs> yeah, it is. I've looked into. I mean, I have some second edition books, and I've looked looked into three point five and fourth edition, and fifth edition is definitely very easy, very playable. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah, it's it's crazy to think. I think it's been out for what five. Five years ish now. That's yeah. pretty wild. Yeah, it is. Gained a lot of traction. Okay, so I'm just going to do a quick recap uh, of of the stuff that's happened. Sort of bring you up to speed on on where we are. Like we're you and I are recording today is uh, November 10th. Uh, we're going to record again on Tuesday, and yeah. I am just completely baffled as to what the players are going to do, how things are going to roll out. So this is like a very pivotal moment that you're helping me out. Uh, so just a quick recap. Uh, the group is, I, I think, 100% certain that Elwyn is a thrall. 
they know about the Mind Flayers. The Githyanki have given them a bit of history on the Mind Flayers. They've formed a very uneasy uh, alliance. Maybe alliance is even too strong of a word, but a very uneasy agreement to work together in order to destroy the Mind Flayers. Shigar attempted to steal Dragonbone from their farmhouse in Tall Hill. So they fought Shigar and ended up killing him. They've now returned to Pharaoh's Point. They're just hanging out outside the city in the Githyanki airship. And they're, they've, last session was entirely them debating on how exactly to capture Elwyn. And during this time, they got a message from Teller saying that Elwyn can be saved. I wanted to sort of give them that bit of information in case they wanted to sort of go that extra mile to, to save him. So that's where we are now, and I'm, I'm really not sure what, what's going to happen next. I, I believe you and Ryan talked about kind of taking a, a character NPC out of the thrall of the Mind Flayers, like the ability to do that. Yeah, I did, and, and Volos describes something very specific. It's like a, th- a th- like a three-day process of casting several spells, none of which the players have stocked right now. Yeah. So it's it would be it would be a challenge, I think, uh, to 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 try to like inform them of that. But I think back in episode seven, Spruce went to an NPC cleric to be healed from poison, so they could they could try to seek that NPC out again. But they would sort of have to know that that's possible, and I'm I'm really unsure like how involved I should be in terms of telling them what to do. Or I mean, the other alternative is to come up with a different method of taking someone out of out of being a thrall, like something less uh, demanding, uh, but something a little bit more than just knocking them out and then reviving them. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, that seems a uh, seems very easy yeah too easy i didn't want it to i I, yeah i didn't want it to be that easy but also i'm wondering is the is the volos method too challenging or too obscure yeah what do you think uh i i mean i think that there there could be a middle ground to that maybe uh while they're conscious it's much more like the volvos method um but if you were to knock them unconscious having access to that that mind control or um, uh, negating that or getting rid of it altogether somehow could could be interesting, whether that's a, a spell or a, a scroll that they get from someone to... Uh, uh, well, I'm thinking of, like, diving into Elwyn's mind as a player to try and fight the control that the flayer has, the mind flayer has on them, but while they're unconscious. Well, that, so you're th- you're thinking of making like an encounter that takes place within within like a like an unconscious realm? Yeah. That sounds amazing. Sweet. Yeah. Yeah, I uh I guess I had just thought of Ghost in the Shell if you've seen that. I have not I have not uh, seen an, that. Okay, it's a it's an animation series, but it has to do with like cybernetics and diving into people's minds to find out information. But that's kind of just where my mind went for getting rid of this as a middle ground it's something that's not as extreme as a three-day spell that takes a lot of resources um but could also be visually super fun yeah absolutely absolutely um 
yeah, there could be a lot of a lot of fun to be had with that kind of that kind of encounter. Wow. Man, this is this conversation we're like ten minutes in, I'm already it's already paying off dividends. <laughs> awesome. Um it reminds me of uh there was a, a series of Star Wars novels that I read when I was uh, young by uh, Kevin Kevin J. Anderson, I think, where Luke is sort of caught in this subconscious, like, force dream, and then his students have to, like, go in and try to, to save him from it. So that's that's immediately what that reminded me of. I think that's that's a phenomenal idea. I love that, about saving him from, like, basically from the inside out instead of just having somebody just cast some spells and then having it work it's much more active uh, and involved like getting the players to be the ones to save him instead of the npcs uh, that that save him yeah would do you think the consequence of failure is that he that they just don't succeed or would there be something something worse what are your thoughts on that i mean you could do permanent psychic damage to or you know whether that's uh, intelligence or wisdom or constitution, um, but doing permanent some permanent amount of damage to a player, like irreversible uh, ability scores taken down, or sort of lowering their their intelligence score. Yeah, potentially if they if they fail while they're in the the like kind of mindscape of Elwin, uh, Elwin potentially dying from from it mm-hmm. uh whether that's like a flare influence or um they did something wrong or elwin now is just kind of crazy and inaccessible on on anybody uh from anybody yeah what do you think yeah yeah so i think that's i think those are all very interesting possibilities uh i like the idea of of uh i mean yeah sort of elwin dying or becoming uh just completely like you said, crazy, so that he's of no use to either side. I mean, that's kind of a, a like a pyrrhic victory for the players. It's like he's no longer an asset to the mind flares, but then like they lose a whole bunch of uh, of help that he could potentially offer. Yeah, so I think like the the incentive I want to uh, hopefully communicate to them is that if they save him, that he can tell them that like he built a flaw into the device that it can still somehow save Kalira if they make some minor adjustments to it, so that if the device is in the hand of the Mind Flayers, they are motivated then to go get it from them and use it to still save Kalira. Which kind of brings me into my next question, and and I think I I pose this to you via email, and I don't know if you want to talk about it or not, but should Kalira still be alive? Yeah, uh, you know, I, I think I had thought about that early on if if clear was even alive at all to begin with um that's it's interesting question i guess in my mind throughout this i've thought for the most part that she is alive i guess the the way that i'm sort of thinking about it from the player's perspective is they've spent all this time to gather all this all these assets and whatnot and i like i don't know how I didn't get a sense from them of frustration, but it's I it may be that they are frustrated that they've done all of this and then to to close off that avenue from them that what they were building towards is, is suddenly no longer possible might be a bit too like deflating. 
as a DM, like in my, I'm still playing the campaign I started two years ago. Mm-hmm. So I I have been writing a new one for a group of friends and have really wanted to transition into the aspect of players having a really hard time because I've been relatively easy in the past and I want to move away from that pretty heavily. So I, I think of de- destroying their morale where they've, right, like you said, they've been working towards this for so long and now Kalira is, is dead because I, I think that that eliminates uh, a level of hope that they might have, which I enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> I've become a little more maniacal as a DM since since I started. <laughs> well, I mean, that's I think that's the natural arc for many DMs. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I told I told the players uh, like before we started recording our last session, I'm like, listen, you've you've had a number of successes. Sort of the natural consequence of being successful is now you're more of a target. So I pr- pretty much told yeah. them like, there's going to be a noticeable difference in in the difficulty that you're going to face because sort of now you've moved into like a different territory of being like a useful tool. I didn't say this specifically, but like they they have been useful tools for the mind flayers and now they are in opposition in direct opposition to them. So it's going to be much more difficult for them going forward. So yeah, clear being dead. I mean, that would be, yeah, that would be, that would be a pretty substantial blow. But I'm, I think the question that I'm wrestling with this is that, is it a good or bad challenge for them to face? On the one hand, it means that now, like, the saving, saving the realm and, like, and, and victory over all of their adversaries is now solely up to them. It's not like all of a sudden they have this, this NPC who's going to save the day for them. It's like now it's squarely on them, which I think is, you know, gives them much more agency. On the other hand... They now have to wrestle with the fact that they've been used and all of this work has sort of been in vain. Yeah. Kalir is kind of the the hope for the realm. Is that right? Yeah, she's definitely, like, she's been the symbol of hope and kind of the um, MacGuffin <laughs> for for this campaign. But yeah, yeah, she's, yeah, she's a definite symbol of hope. So her absence, I guess, gives... Uh, an opening for one of the one or more of the players to take that role something that hadn't yeah, occurred so to me until just now that's what i was thinking is how if Kalira is dead how then do the players react to that as as kind of the new hope for the realm because like you said earlier they've really been building traction on uh the deeds they've doing and uh, are doing helping people and interacting with a lot of the to me, the community that follows Kalira. So then how do they become the hope for the realm, for those people to defeat Agrand? I think there will have to be a, like an inciting event that sort of sparks, uh, like if we are sort of going down this avenue that she's not able to be saved, then uh, like an event like them defeating Agrand and or Arizax uh, would really sort of, I think, thrust them into the spotlight of being like this is this is who's taking Kalira's place, sort of in in terms of like the leadership, like who's going to lead us out of this trouble. Yeah, I, I could see that kind of happening over a a major conflict. Uh, whether that's why well, I I like Arizax more than Agaran because of what we had talked about with him becoming a 
Dragon Flare. Well, you and Ryan had talked about that, but sure. Sorry, I think the names have gotten a little like transposed. Oh. So Arizax is the is a sorcerer. So he's yeah. I think Agran the Half Dragon is going to. I I would like him to become the half half Dragon Flare. Uh, yes, Arizax is. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm eager for them to to face him for the first time. I think it's going to be a very interesting encounter. Okay, well, you know what? I was completely leaning towards, like, Kalira still being able to be saved, but you've kind of, like, swayed me in the other direction a bit. Uh, I was thinking, like, that they would be able to, like, in this, like, in one of the final encounters, perhaps the final encounter, they're, they're fighting a bunch of thralls, they're fighting a bunch of people under the sway of new life, and uh, several mind flares, and they're wrestling for control of this device. And like at the night, like the the very last minute, they succeed in teleporting her in, and all of a sudden the the tides turn like a like a really cinematic event. But on the other hand, I feel like the other way is a potentially more interesting story for them, which is what it, I think it all comes down to. Yeah, I think it it creates a a role play aspect to the game where they're going to have to play their characters to to influence the people who followed Kalira. And I I enjoy that. I enjoy the the role play aspect of player to character, but putting them in a position where they they're forced to to find a way around that. For sure. Okay. So I mean, uh I think we've got a good segue into talking about um if Agaran gets turned into into a mind flare. So you and I had uh yes. like there was a there was a video that somebody shared in our DM group. Uh, so somebody shared a, 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 a Matt Colville video on on sort of designing uh, enemies. He talks about the uh, goblins and um, another creature, uh, uh, some sort of insect burrower. Is that do I have that right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the the ankeg, okay. I think, or ankeg, whatever yes. how it's however it's pronounced. But sort of talking about designing them more on based on on the actions that they are able to do instead of focusing, like building them from a, from a stat block standpoint, just building them based on what they do from round to round, which I thought was a really interesting approach. So I've got a couple of ideas, but why don't you take the lead? And I mean, if you were able to jot anything down, why don't you start us off? Well, I started out with asking um, what, so he is, he's currently a half dragon. Yes, that's, that's correct. And then what, what type of half dragon, like what type of dragon is that? Is he? Oh, um, I wanted to go like with the fire motif. So like he's a, he's okay. Yeah. A red half red dragon, I guess. Um, you know, he's not, he's not like able to like take the form of a, of a full on dragon. So he's kind of stuck being a, a humanoid. Um, but uh, but yeah, the son, I guess, the offspring of a red dragon that was polymorphed into humanoid form. So I just opened up the to the ancient red dragon, but um, just kind of looking at what they have. I'm, I love breath weapons. I think they're incredible. They're menacing. They generally do a lot of damage and have a range attack. So I enjoy, uh, which I don't know if that was in the cards for you, but um, thinking about Agran having... Um, uh, breath weapon for some reason uh like that wasn't occurring to me but i i mean i love that idea too would how do you think if he's transformed into this half dragon mind flayer hybrid how do you think that that would affect his his breath weapon 
I I feel like as long as he's got his head still in <laughs> in the form of mostly a dragon, I think that it would uh, still apply. Yeah, um, absolutely. It would be it would be such a bizarre but very off putting visual for for like this 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 half dragon that's kind of in the process maybe of being transformed into this purple blue uh squid like creature to still be breathing fire. I mean that would really weird as a player that would weird me out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Thinking about uh like physical augmentations, um Agran developing some amount of tentacles uh whether that's on his arms or you know legs or something like that uh, potentially uh levitating having access essentially to levitation uh, a menacing presence is there um but just causing having save having saving throws and potentially those characters being fearful thinking about as a character coming across this half dragon that also is developing tentacles and is just naturally floating around to me is uh, pretty menacing. <laughs> yeah. Again, another visual that would really be, be off putting because I think that they've, the players probably have Agarand in their mind as, as uh, just, you know, a fairly straightforward melee threat, you know, and not having access to all these other abilities. Yeah. Um, did, I was going to ask too. Does Agran or do you see him having um, like natural magic abilities? Um, or I or is he a caster fighter? I didn't actually have him opposed to. Uh, I'm not ruling it out, but originally that wasn't something that that really occurred to me, and that was I think one of the reasons why uh, Arizax is at his side is for sort of to give him like some more magical firepower so i wouldn't rule it out but it it wasn't originally something that that i had incorporated into his into his character uh i was just thinking about the the matt coville his structuring video um so like starting with uh health points and armor class what do you what do you think on that uh to to kind of bump him up well, yeah. So the I think the original, my original sort of uh, baseline intention for for having this uh, transition take place uh, was to have a mind flare who is, or something approximating a mind flare who is is much more uh, resilient uh, in combat. Because mind flares right now they're pretty soft. Um, yeah, they're not they're not like supposed to be in melee combat. So I wanted to have like, Oh, Hey, you know, this mind flare also has these, these other qualities that make it much more of a physical threat. Um, so I would still think that he'd be wearing his, his regular armor. So he'd have like an AC, I think probably 18 or 19 and a decent, uh, amount of, of, of hit points for, you know, for a party that level, like when they fought Shigar, he had 200 hit points, and I think he lasted four rounds. It was a tough four rounds. Okay. Yeah. Um, but I, I would imagine that um, if they're fighting Agarand and this version of him, he may not be the only enemy present. When they fought Shigar, it was just him. And uh, yeah. it was a pretty pretty tough engagement for them. So I was thinking about kind of minions throwing uh, other dragonborns. In, into the fight mm -hmm. um, and I 
I know you had mentioned uh, Arizax has the Staff of Control. Is that right? He does, yep. Okay. Yeah, so the, the Dragonborns are, are siding with Agran. Do yeah, I, yeah. Do uh, I have that right? Okay. Yeah, so they're still following him. I think, like, when he... I guess when he starts to become a Mind Flayer, he's going to become, you know, whole, wholly subservient to them. But, I mean, it all really depends on, on you know, narratively when this this uh, encounter takes place. You know, are the are Arizax and the Dragonborn already there? Are the Mind Flayers trying to intercede for some reason so i mean there's a lot of possibilities in terms you know in terms of the story what might affect him showing up and at what point in his his transformation so i I had jotted down a couple of ideas i thought that he could use um because ryan and i had discussed using having the mind flares have dimension door instead of plane shift so that he he could use dimension door to like really get up close to somebody very fast and that he would do that like on the first or second round. So that if the engagement starts off where there's this big open area, he can just close the distance basically immediately. Uh, and then to have a mind blast, you know, assuming that he's, again, still partially mind flayer here, uh, a mind blast that may or may not do psychic damage, but that actually makes other, like if there's other mind flares that are there, or other allies that he doesn't want to be attacked that the the mind blast makes those other uh targets invisible to the players so that they're fo- uh forced to focus on him i think that was like something that was in fourth edition fighters had the ability to like mark a target and uh, a lot of tools to make make the fighter sort of the focal point of combat because they could take a lot of damage so i would kind of like uh, transposing that ability uh, for him to basically try to remove his own allies as targets from of the players so that the players are forced to focus on him because he can take more damage. Yeah, I like that. That's really fun. So I just looking at Mind Blast, would you have it would you have the uh, players be stunned or create just a like an invisible barrier for the allies. Hmm. Stunned. I hadn't thought about that. I thought like maybe they would do, maybe it would do psychic damage. Do you think, do you think having it be stunned and making other targets invisible? Is that like too many? Is that like layering on too many penalties? Uh, I, I'm not sure. Um, what, what are the, what do you see as a projected level for them when they reach this point? Oh, I, I mean, we're sort of at a point now where I mean the, the story could come to like a like the, the 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 sort of plot points that we're moving through now is like very rapid. So uh, right now they're level eight. Uh, they leveled up not too long ago, okay. so they could still be level eight. I would say probably max level nine that they would be encountering him for the first time. So potentially like the very near future. I think try try it maybe. I would I would say because I'm I enjoy creating these kind of uh, special creatures and then um, making them potentially overpowered. I worry about it, but then kind of what Matt Colville said is um, during the combat scenario, you can always tone them down. Yeah, that's a very good point. So yeah, even if it does stun them, they can continue to make uh, wisdom or intelligence saves to get out of the stun. 
but instead of using it five uh, or instead of recharging on a five or a six, make it something more significant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe uh, like to, to get that ability back. Yeah, maybe he's only got the one use in between short rests or something like that. And I, I suppose what's an, like something entirely possible is that if that ability does work and the players are now really only visually able to see Agarand, they may end up killing him and then he's not like he can't deploy that ability over and over like in the next encounter because like he's he's sort of you know an ability like that might be used to allow others to escape and so by forcing them to fight him maybe they're like well we're losing you know this mind flare that we have but uh but all of other other people are getting out so maybe it's like a necessary trade-off what's your thoughts on the frightful presence I think it's perfectly reasonable for for any warrior to be frightened of a creature like that because they're like even half dragons are like he may be the only half dragon in this world and then he's becoming like an aberration almost so yeah and I think that gives a good opportunity for for Faye to use a counter charm um yeah uh I think she uh, Candace still sometimes f- struggles to find her uh, like effective things to do in combat scenarios. So de- deploying that that ability to to make everyone afraid gives her the ability to say to step in and and prevent that. Yeah, yeah, taking a little bit uh, of control away from from the enemy. Yeah. So I mean, it's I mean, it makes sense for him. So I I'll definitely incorporate that that uh, frightful presence levitation. I think is is uh, another staple, I think, of the Mind Flayer. So having him be able to levitate or even... Uh, do they levitate themselves? Or you can levitate other creatures with that, right? You can... I think they get a saving throw, but you can you can use that against someone. Looking at it now, it just says, at will, detect thoughts and levitate uh, for the Mind Flayers in general. So, I, yeah, I, I think just casting it. And then what do you think about resistances? Uh, Mind players have the natural magic resistance. You have spell casters. You have ranged attackers for the players. Having magical resistance would definitely affect their ability on some level to hit this thing. Well, I figured that he would be considered like a boss, uh, like a boss monster. So I wouldn't be opposed to giving him like uh, legendary resistances. Okay. I forgot entirely about the Mind Flayer's magical resistance. Is that just advantage on saving throws against magical effects? Yes, it has advantage. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, against spells and, and any uh, magical effects. Yeah, so I mean, definitely, I think uh, Faye would be trying to use Mantle of Majesty to, to charm, to or to use Command, <laughs> rather. So, I mean, that would be... It would make it tough. It would make it tough for the players, but I mean, they don't have a lot of offensive spell casting. It may not like we like. I would. I might not get a lot of uh, mileage out of it, but it would certainly come in handy against uh, uh, Faye's attempts to command. I was thinking about uh, legendary actions as well, doing two two physical attacks and uh, like a psychic attack or something you know combining both 
the the physical aspect of the dragon and the mental psychic aspect of a mind flare into uh, two attacks or three attacks depending on how you structure the damage yeah were you thinking that the that the that like the melee attacks would have a psychic uh damage component to them like similar to like to a get the yankee well i hadn't thought about that but that could be pretty devastating i think especially if the that that distance if there is distance is closed uh, almost immediately coming into uh coming out of a dimension door and immediately taking a legendary action to hit a, a character for immense amount of damage yeah it could be really fun yeah <laughs> it could be fun uh I'm starting to get a better idea of, of like how challenging you're you're about to make it for for the players in your next campaign. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it, it's gonna be it's gonna be a good time. <laughs> so you had um, so you had sort of described uh, this Agaran flare as having tentacles, perhaps on his arm. So uh, you would, um, I, I'm assuming, then the ability to do like a an extract brain would not be in the equation. Like, was that what you had in mind? Yeah, well, so I was thinking whether it's one arm or both of them, or or its legs even becoming Agron's legs becoming more tentacle based than uh, humanoid or dragon, you know, having scales. And I think whether you do any of that, you could throw in a uh, a grapple. Yeah, so I mean that would be a good legendary um, action, using like a tentacle arm to grapple. I think that would be. That would be good, you know. Force the characters to make a, uh, uh, you know, strength check to escape on their turn. Um, be like a very—he's becoming a very menacing, like melee combatant here. I suppose that's a good good way to balance it to to for him perhaps not to have the ability to do a uh, like the extract brain. Although Matt. I mean, I would really like for, to to have a, a mind flare do that to one of the players at some point. <laughs> Well, you you had mentioned you had mentioned potentially having other mind flares on the field during this conflict. Yeah, I mean, like I said, it all depends on on sort of um, how the how, how it unfolds narratively. But if if all mind flares have the ability to use dimension door instead of plane shift, uh, then they can suddenly show up if they're needed. If uh, if Agarand, uh, if the Agaran flare gets into physical combat with someone and knocks them out, then it's possible that another mind flare may come along and, you know, take that, take that unconscious uh, person away. Yeah, that that could be very menacing to one have a, an, an immediate casting of mind blast. And then now all of a the sudden these invisible mind flayers are dimensioning door in front of the characters would be, that would be menacing. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's lots yeah, there. Be... I mean, yeah, we've, we've covered a lot of ground on, on this, on this boss monster here. Were there any other uh, aspects that you wanted to go over? Uh, that was kind of the notes that I had taken. That pretty much covers everything other than which, in, and you had talked about it being more of a up and close melee, but I, uh, I did think about it, uh, Agron being able to cast, okay, cast spells. What uh, were there any spells in mind that you think that he would uh, would use? I was thinking of 
kind of magic defense if it's uh, if it's up and close, uh, or improved some sort of improved armor to increase the AC. Mm-hmm. Um, potentially uh, like self healing spells. I I think that the healing spells in fifth edition um, are well, healing word specifically is pretty insane. Being able to cast a, a healing spell from sixty feet away as a bonus action, yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, oh, something just popped in my mind. If he if if he can use his tentacle arm to grapple, and it also like if if on the next turn the target like doesn't escape, that he, that it does like an automatic amount of necrotic damage, and he gets those hit points back. Mm, I like that. <laughs> That's fun. <laughs> uh, this guy's just getting meaner by the minute. Cool. All right. Yeah. So something, uh, something maybe like shield he could have. Um, I think that's. I think that's the most obvious one that comes to mind in terms of of a, like a, a defensive spell for melee combat. Yeah, and I I wasn't thinking uh, too much. You know, he has a, the breath weapon, and now potentially mind blast and um good grappling mechanism there's there's a lot there Mm -hmm. i i was i was thinking more of a self-defensive um because he's more of a a physical damage monster or creature that it it would be more to benefit his own self Mm -hmm, for sure yeah and if he's uh you know like a fighter it might make sense for him to have a second wind yeah that's a good one too Cool. All right. I mean, there's there's a ton of of possibilities here, and I think I've got a much better. I actually kind of like the idea of of the tentacle arm, uh, like sword in one hand, tentacle arm in the other. I like that a lot. Cool. All right. So I think another topic that uh, we were wanting to touch on was the 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 orb that we have, and potentially introducing other orbs that do other things. So uh, you had mentioned like the Dark Tower uh, series by Stephen King. Did you want to talk a bit about that and then maybe how to incorporate something similar? So the the orbs in the Dark Tower series are uh, they do a lot of fun things. They're all they're all inherently evil, but they grant certain abilities. So I I came up with a couple ideas. So the 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 first one is it's a black orb. Is that right the one that is currently in the game uh yeah yeah that's what they found or i guess that's what they had from warren's uh satchel yeah okay and you had said it has uh the ability to uh have plane shift contact other plane and then um something i was thinking for any orbs if they come into the game allow the mind flayers to see and hear through them no matter uh no matter what they are yeah, I I think that's uh, an excellent idea, and would make total sense for for the mind flayers to have these sort of complementary orbs, so that you know it would be it would make sense for them to be able to communicate that way with each other over long distances, kind of like uh, yes. like I think sending stones uh, have to have like a like they they're in pairs, but this is like potentially multiple orbs where they're all sort of uh, connected. Would you think that that would be like like specific to being a mind flare to be able to use that ability, or any character who has like a sufficiently high intelligence could potentially do that? 
I hadn't thought about other characters using it, but I, I, I like the idea of discovering that. So if a character suspects that that's the case, looking into this or using some amount of magic to... Uh, I, I like putting consequences into these sort of arcanic discoveries. So to in, in order to kind of investigate this, it's not just a wisdom check it has you have to use a spell slot to look into this orb you have to use some of your own magic inherent magic ability to actually access or look into this thing Mm -hmm. yeah so my my original thought was that this was merely a component of the mind flayer not alloyed that it was used to navigate it but i mean i'm I don't want to rule anything out because uh, the players know very little about it at this point. Mm-hmm. So like the door is wide open for us to incorporate other, other abilities into it and into other orbs. So aside from, uh, so we've got like the mind flares being able to, to see and hear through, through it, you know, under any circumstance. Uh, what other things did you want or did you think might be interesting to incorporate? So I have in the hands of a caster, uh, the orb itself holds spell slots. So additional spell slots to whatever the caster has that they can put uh, uh, spells into and whatever those uh, levels are at. I'm not sure based on character level or advancement in the game, but thinking of more of a combat sense, being able to hold on to this orb and cast additional spells. Yeah, so it's like a uh, almost like a ring of uh, spell storing. I think that's a, a magic item. Yeah. Oh, were you thinking of like uh, one of the villains using using it this way, or or one well, of the yeah. players? A villain for sure. Um, but I mean, if if the players get a hold of it because they know that it's capable of this, they again they like you said they don't know much a lot. They don't mo- know much about these orbs. So if they get a hold of this orb that seems to have additional spell slots. It could be exciting, and they hang on to it. Yeah, without knowing that the mind flayers can see and hear. Yeah, <laughs> I think currently, like with the ways that I've been describing it, um, they're very put off. Like they're very paranoid about about touching it at all. Yeah, but yeah, if they see somebody else using it, it might be hey, that's that's a neat thing neat power and of course if they see something that that could benefit them i'm sure they'll want to uh to jump on board okay now i i like that a lot um so there were other orbs and you had mentioned that potentially other people in this world might already have other orbs in their possession yeah i i wasn't terribly sure uh you know i was thinking major players currently uh, since the Mind Flayer's presence is becoming more substantial, the uh, kind of, I would say, heavy hitters are being granted these orbs. Uh, one, to keep tracks on on them or their happenings with uh, the players, but two, to kind of give them an additional bonus. That's very devious. So the Mind Flayers, whether like overtly or sort of in a clandestine way are give or or make making these orbs available to to certain powerful figures like Arizax for example but Arizax might not know that it's like it's not like a mind flare might walk up and hand it to him it just kind of ends up in his possession or he comes across it because they've sort of 
planted it someplace where he'll find it. Yeah, that was kind of my thought. Okay, I think that's a great idea. So, I mean, aside from Erzak, did you have anyone else in mind that, that might come across one of these things? Uh, El- Elwin. Okay, um, yeah, that's an, I should I should have seen that one coming. <laughs> yeah, already a thrall within the Mind Flayer, um, so receiving a, an orb. Um, I thought about one of your uh, destined-to-die NPCs, even. Oh, like, do you mean like, uh, like a listener? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I have one orb on here that, um, provides, uh, physical power while altering the character's genetic makeup. So, um, like a, a partial flare or lithid appendages. Um, so over time while using this orb, it's created... Uh, one, a connection to the Mind Flayers, but two, has physically altered uh, some NPC's body. And they're, you know, I was thinking, keeping that hidden, approaching the party about knowledge of Agrander, uh, Arizax, or something that they're inherently going against, and then revealing himself as this thrall and, uh, like, augmented character. That opens a whole lot of doors in terms of um, how the mind flares like go about creating other mind flares. So if this if this orb like has that effect, because in in Volo's Guide to Monsters they describe like like a tadpole going into the ear canal or going in through the eye, and then and then that transformation happens that way. So this is like a completely completely changes it and opens up a whole other lot of possibilities. So maybe this orb has a could even have have a radius so maybe it just doesn't affect the holder but anyone who's in prolonged contact yeah that's that's kind of drawing a little bit from the dark tower series is while you're in contact with these the orbs in the series um it really um, it just makes you crazy uh in in some sense but also pushes you towards a level of uh, uh evil deeds inherently uh, so another one I have is allowing an a evil alignment NPC or monster to see the evil deeds of others while additionally uh, turning them into a thrall. But I, I was thinking of involving that in in one of the players to recruit uh, other evil evildoers. The, like Arizax or Agarand or the Mind Flayers being able to see other evil acts happening and therefore putting those people or characters or NPCs into their path. Okay. I mean, I think there's a lot of possibilities with that because the players right now are in the company of Githyanki who are all lawful evil. So, I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of possibilities that the Githyanki do, you know, evil things and the players happen to be in close proximity. So it'd be allow them to sort of have an inroads to the players that way. Uh, I also had uh, an orb that shifts the mindset of people or NPCs or other monsters to become thralls of the Mind Flayer. So the the orb holder doesn't necessarily isn't necessarily a thrall, but it can, um, in in some words, charm person or have a, a sort of mind control over other people through the orb. Okay, so this um, this gives the mind flares like an ability to do like a long range 
takeover of somebody. Well, and, and I was thinking specifically to the holder, whether that's a mind flayer or not. Uh, I also thought of, uh, inevitably if they come up against whoever this orb holder is, the mind flayers can then kind of flip a switch and take over the orb holder and all of the people that he has following him through this orb. Oh, okay. My my like first immediate thought would be uh would be like Martin, the head of the Thieves Guild, is that, you know, he likes to collect valuable things. Yeah. That might be like a perfect opportunity for them to sort of sabotage that resource and sort of have a another hidden uh trap waiting for the for the players. Man, after talking to you and Ryan, I'm realizing I'm so lenient <laughs> on them. <laughs> It's it's hard not to be because you want them to succeed, right? You want them to to have fun and enjoy being the hero. Yeah, I mean it's it's kind of a weird endeavor telling this story because, like, on the one hand, as a podcast, I like for for people listening to to enjoy a conclusion that's you know whether they succeed or fail, there's a conclusion, but um, letting them get far enough. So that that conclusion is like that they get through most of the story. Like if they had been killed in their quest for for the dragon bone, that probably wouldn't have been a good ending for the series. But uh, but yeah, you're right. There's a definite balance in in terms of wanting them to succeed, but pre- presenting them with enough challenges that failure is a possibility. Because you know, failure is not a possibility. Then then what are we doing? Um, actually, hang on. I'm just going to grab my uh, player's handbook. Because there was a uh, there's a spell that I thought might be might be good to to uh, if the the mind flayers can sort of project their influence through uh, through an orb and someone who like even a non mind flayer is carrying that orb then uh, uh, let me find the spell I think it's called Gies or Gies I'm not quite sure how it's pronounced but it's a fifth level enchantment. You place a magical command on a creature that you can see within range, forcing it to carry out some service or refrain from some action or course of activity as you decide. Uh, If the creature can understand you, it must succeed on a wisdom saving throw or become charmed by you for the duration, which is one minute. Uh, While the creature is charmed by you, it takes 5d10 psychic damage each time it acts in a manner directly counter to your instructions, uh, but no more than once each day. Oh, wait, no. The duration is 30 days. Whoops. <laughs> Never mind. I thought the duration that's, was one minute. It's it's 30 days. <laughs> that's a that's a pretty mean spell. Well, I'm just trying to come up to your level, man. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, I, I mean, that could be used to hamstring like an important NPC or even used against the players. Like, what do you think? Yeah. Um something I thought about the orbs as well is being able to the mind flares being able to verbalize commands through the orb itself. So they can also speak through the orb and that spells verbal. So getting the player to grab hold of a orb and then verbally hearing that spell come out of it would be, that would be rough. Yeah, absolutely. Especially if the the instructions that they are given is to like if if the mind flayers deploy that in such a way to protect like a, a high value thrall like Elwyn, 
so a player, you know, they're they're now instructed that they can't harm Elwyn or go anywhere near him. You know, that would that would add, add a definite additional level of of difficulty for them. Do you uh, are you familiar with Critical Role? Uh, I you know I, I'm not up on the current campaign, but I, I, yeah, I, I definitely know the uh, the the legendary group of which you speak. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Well, I was thinking of, uh, you know, uh, incorporating a whisper into a player if that happens, if they, uh, if the geese spell gets cast on them, um, something that, you know, obviously the, the rest of the players know something is up and is suspicious, but they won't actually know what's happening to, to the character. Yeah, that would be interesting for that that person to role play. Yeah, is that something that's happening in their current campaign with Critical Role? Uh, no, it's just they. Um, Matt Mercer just does whispers to players when things happen, or or vice versa. Occasionally, players will whisper to the DM about something that they want to do or is coming up. Um, but I I've always enjoyed that kind of mystery involved in parts of their campaign okay so as a dm if if you were to use that uh geese spell against one of the players would you would you tell them that that spell has been used against them or would you simply talk to them like aside from the group and be like this is an, like something that's affecting you now and you don't know why yes yeah i would do the latter that way they don't know exactly what it is or uh, not that I have have had a lot of struggle with it as a DM, but metagaming happens sometimes. Um, and if the players know spells well enough, they might know exactly what what spell has been cast on them and potentially would influence. But instead of describing the spell, just saying you have an uncontrollable desire to do this or to convince the party to move away from Elwyn just de- describing that like you don't really have a choice but now you need to role play this decision well that could be real I mean that could be something that I could incorporate as soon as you know our next session because if Elwyn does have an orb um, I mean that that might be the ability of that particular orb that he has it would make sense I, I think for the mind flares to have given it to them in the event that the that the player characters become aware of of his duplicitous nature, and so like it's a it's a, a safeguard uh, for them to use against the players should they turn on on him. I would encourage the orb to be a nice color. Yeah, I think yeah, I would d- definitely describe it in a different way. <laughs> Than like the black orb that just has these like really off-putting whispers, uh, they they don't like that one at all. But yeah, having something being especially for Faye because she likes shiny things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, something more approachable. That's like, oh, this is kind of pretty looking, not ominous and dark. Yeah, even uh, could even be potentially like made as a as a ring. Um, to to sort of ensnare Gilly, who has a propensity for for gemstones and for rings. Yeah, I like that too. Uh, the ring could potentially be the spell 
So you wouldn't necessarily need uh, like a verbal command or like a telepathic verbal command um, on some level. The the ring could just act as uh, almost like a scroll, but act as the spell. And when it comes in contact with the orb or is in a radius, it triggers the effect. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And these orbs just sound never-ending. You've got, is that, were there others? Like, how many are there in the Dark Tower? Was it 13? Yeah, yep, 13. Yeah, they're referred to as Merlin's Rainbow. I mean, yeah, after um, you mentioned that, I went and I, I read, um, uh, like, a brief synopsis. And now I'm really intrigued to read The Dark Tower. I heard the movie wasn't all that great, but uh, I enjoy Stephen King novels, so I'm looking forward to checking that out. Did you uh, Did you have other orbs that you wanted to, or other abilities that you wanted to throw out there? I kind of gave you the um, the heaviest of all of them. Okay. Uh, I have the increased intelligence, the like the ability to retain information or gather information very quickly. Um, so just like a, a being able to contain a wealth of information or knowledge um, through an orb, uh, granting uh, telekinetic abilities to the holder of the orb um, while simultaneously hearing the voices of the mind flayers. I, I just had a, a, an idea pop into my head. If, if Elwyn's orb can do the Gia's spell, but if, if it also can contain or convey information, um, maybe because Elwyn's sort of, he's not, he's not fully a thrall. So he's, He's been like there's fragments of his old personality left that's sort of like pushing back against his conditioning. If he was able to infuse that orb with the information about like the mind flayer's plan, uh, it could like if the players take hold of that orb, uh, they could be like one of them could be suddenly like subjected to the Gia spell, but they could also then uh, find out about the plan, and so that would be. You know, in the in the event that they kill Elwyn, that could be a way for them to learn about everything that he's been up to, and sort of what like what the end goal is for the Mind Flayers, which they still they still don't know. Yeah, I, I like that. I think that 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 gives them even if they fail at um, ridding Elwyn of the thrall, they still get something out of it. And and the flares get something out of it as well. I mean, they get contr- potential control of a uh, of a player. Mm-hmm. Man, so many possibilities here. Uh, I feel like I feel like so many doors have just been opened up. I was completely in the dark uh, in terms of of how to approach these these next upcoming sessions. But now I feel like I've got a just a whole armory of of weapons to to use <laughs> against the players. <laughs> Excellent. Um, so, uh, one question that I, I wanted to, to throw your way is: um, it, it seems possible that they are going to be going into Ferris Point to try to either capture Elwyn, maybe try to smuggle him out. Uh, potentially, they might kill him. I don't know. Should he still have like all the components that they've gathered uh, with him, so that if you know, if if they do go in and get him, can they take possession of the stuff that they had already gathered? Or do you think it would make more sense, 
that he would have handed that stuff over to his his controllers. I I see him still having the material, mostly because it's it seems to be something that he's still working on, still still progressing forward and yeah potential maybe he's like maybe he's uh sort of surreptitiously included this uh this orb uh as part of the material so that it's you know sort of always there and the mind flayers will then know always where uh the goods are right so if the players do come in and take everything the mind flayers will automatically have an eye on them but i think i think that's a good call because if the mind if they then take control of everything the mind flayers are going to be suddenly alerted to the fact that it's like oh no this is like a high value uh set of items that we need to take back and so that could quite easily like force a confrontation like uh of the mind flayers to like come out of hiding or send more thralls after them uh so that they can take these things back because under no circumstances would the mind flayers want these things to be out of their out of their control, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think if the if the players were really, I think on top of their game, they could they could uh, if they knew that, then they could sort of turn the tables and use it to lure the mind flayers to like into certain conditions where they would maximize their own advantage against the mind flayers showing up. So I mean, this this all has the potential to occur within the next two to three sessions that we have. So, I mean, it's, it could get, depending on their choices, I mean, it could, could get dragged out for, for a while longer, or this could come to like a very rapid conclusion. Yeah. Either way, I think they're, the players are definitely going to have to do some, some planning about the execution after, especially after they meet Elwyn. Yes, definitely. Um, I don't know if I I don't know if I if I asked you this already. Um in terms of like I was struggling with the the idea like of of trying to I guess just to go back to the, their ability to save Elwyn. So they've been told that he can be saved. Um but the how is still up in the air. And so I guess the onus would be on them to to try to figure out how to how to save him. And I really like the idea of going into his subconscious and, and actually them acting it out, whether they're like saving him from something or defeating some, these like illusory enemies that are, that are plaguing his mind, actually getting that information to them. I'm still like, that's, that's still a a hurdle for me as a, as a DM. Like, how do I, how do I give that information? Is it just like, a history check or an arcana check or like if if you were in my position how would you approach that particular issue if it's if it's in elwin's mind it would be the his subconscious so then potentially asking the right question to the subconscious mind of of what information he knows about the flares or their plan um but i i think it would be based on uh, a, maybe a mix between intelligence and constitution, like having having the the physical or mental uh, strength or willpower to push forward and discover that information. Because I imagine the mind flayers, 
or or Elwyn as a thrall is going to want to prevent them from seeing that or getting a hold of it. For sure, yeah. <laughs> I just it would be interesting to have um, in that sort of domain, that subconscious domain, for them to have. There's like a fleeting, like almost like ghost-like version of the real Elwyn who's like still trying to help them against, you know, the the new version of him. <laughs> so there's like two two yeah. versions of him, one one good and one evil. Hmm. In terms of like getting the players into that uh, domain, like how, because you had mentioned like it could be done by a, like by way of a spell or a scroll. Uh, how would you get the players or how would you sort of lay the groundwork in terms of giving them the necessary pieces of information to get to that point? I, uh, I don't know. That's tough. I, I thought about the potentially the, the gift Yankee providing, um, a, a scroll or some magical item that they've maybe used to investigate or move into the minds of the mind flayer or a mind flayer to get more information about them, um, to better fight them, to better relinquish their hold on people or things to get, you know, to get more information. That's an excellent idea because the Githyanki are already like sort of like equipped psychically to, uh, to combat the mind flayers. Now, um, I think I think their preference as like a warlike people is just to kill and not to try to save, but it could be entirely possible that they have that ability to like create a link, like almost like a and to like bridge the players into Elwyn's mind. Is that what you were uh, is that what you were thinking? Yeah, or they could potentially have an orb of their own that allows them to to push into that subconscious that way that isn't connected to the mind flayers. It's maybe connected to their plane where the Gith Yankee exist. Oh, interesting. Okay. That gives me some ideas because they, um, they took the well of many worlds from, uh, from the wizard in tall Hill. So the Gith Yankee right now have that like in their possession. So the, and the, and the, the players know it, the players know that they have this thing that connects to other planes. So the Githyanki could potentially use that to be communicating with uh, with their home plane and then maybe using the well to bring in reinforcements. Yeah. All right. I mean, we've covered quite a bit. I think one of the other points, and I know that we're kind of running short on, on time here, so if you wanted to pick this up tomorrow, that's totally cool. Um, okay. Uh, I think there was still, like, in determining the exact qualities of the Staff of Control was something that I hadn't haven't done yet. So I don't know if you had any interest in discussing that or if there were any other things that we have touched on already that you want to expand on or if there's stuff that we haven't touched on that you want to talk about. I would say uh, if we can come back to it tomorrow, I might have some more for you. Um, I didn't get to kind of digging into some research on the staff of control or um, taking any sort of... Uh, like DM notes about it. Um, so we're kind of at the same point then. Cause I mean, yeah, all yeah. I know is that like, it just does control like the iron guardians, but I don't know the specifics of like how taxing it is. Like how long does it take to issue commands? Like, like how many, com- is there a certain number of commands that can be issued in a certain time frame? Like all that's is, is completely gray uh, for me right now.
Awesome. I had a couple of thoughts since we last spoke, which I thought about the orb. Uh, mm-hmm. We talked about Elwyn having one. Yes. And we also talked about um, sort of uh, an encounter in Elwyn's sort of mindscape. Yeah. So I thought about that and I was like, the, the they have this crystal that they got from the from the construct that was underground. And it's entirely possible that that is something that Elwyn found and is already an orb. So he could already have, like, that could be the orb right there. Oh, fun. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I thought that if they do end up going into, like, trying to save Elwyn by sort of going into his mind to, to free him, that it, like, they go back to the underground ruins, but they're no longer ruins. It's like the full on mind flare city. And he's like imprisoned in that, uh, I guess, torture chamber, you want to call it where they had like the tables for experiments and stuff that the, that the players already went through. Yeah. Uh, I do remember that. Recall that. That'd be, I like that, uh, bringing them back to not necessarily a familiar space, but bringing them back into that previous, underground world and um i think there's a level of menace to that are they going to have to face do you think that they would face flares in the kind of underground city yeah i was thinking about that i'm not quite sure because it would be just sort of kind of like drawing a comparison to inception it would be like their sort of mental uh, representation of themselves where they are, they are like there to safeguard him. So this is, all, I guess, all kind of like conceptual because, like, you know, they're this is is going to be like the structures that, um, you know, he's he's sort of imprisoned, and I guess this is just sort of how they can visualize it in their minds. So this is all going to be kind of, I don't know what the right word for it is. Uh, you're talking about like the mental scape of Elwyn essentially being the Flare City, and it sorry, and yeah. Being- yeah, oh, okay. yeah. Sorry, that's that's what I meant. Is uh, okay. is, yeah. They when they when they sort of go into his mind, it's not like it's not quite like a nebulous like dream realm with no boundaries or anything. Like it, it takes them back to that place, and and he's the the real version, quote unquote, real version of him is like you know somewhere that they have to get to and then rescue him. I think it could be fun to throw things at them. Uh, I think it would maybe be a little DM heavy as far as like preparation beforehand, but throwing things that Elwyn has uh, worked on. So uh, like putting his previous mental efforts into this dreamscape as obstacles uh, whether that's like people on new life and his perception of uh, like the wrongdoing that that has caused before being obviously before being taken over as a thrall, um, but having uh, the like a potentially like a construct that he's made beforehand um, or interactions with other people that he feels badly about, putting that into the underground city. I like that. I like that because it would give uh, give them a real insight into into his, I guess his his sort of true perceptions about certain things. And to this point, they don't really have. I don't. I don't know that they have any any real examples of, of like 
anything he said being being true. So actually being able to see those representations of his, you know, regrets and mistakes, that would be that'd be really neat. Yeah, and insights into Elwin. <laughs> mm-hmm. I guess I was thinking like because we we talked about the consequences of failure and if if someone uh, you know goes to zero hit points in in that environment like what does that mean? I thought yeah. it could be an interesting choice to I don't know how I would convey this to them but it would be an interesting choice to say you can you can basically pull the ripcord and exit this before you die and then like take less of a penalty. But if you stay in there to the very end and you drop to zero, then that's consequences. I, I like that. I think that that's, that's good. And there should be. Uh, just like in the living game, there's consequences for death. And do you, do you think it would be more major, more, like major or permanent consequences if, uh, if they stick around? Um, yeah. If I do bring back the, the sort of... Um, like the black clouds of like the madness inducing clouds if they get hit by those like one too many times it could be that that madness carries over into the game for so many days or or weeks or whatever if they maybe even just by going in they have a penalty for when they come back out for i don't know 24 hours they're at a disadvantage for certain skills or certain abilities. Um, if they were to drop to zero, I was thinking penalty to their thinking either wisdom or intelligence. Mm -hmm. And if I go with intelligence, I mean, that's kind of an added danger to when they actually face real life mind flares and they're going to have an even like, as of now, nobody has a good intelligence saving throw. <laughs> They'll have an even worse one if they drop to zero. So it's like, yeah, they may make a choice and be like, I have to see this through, which would be a good like character moment for them to say, like, I'm going to face these consequences, but I have to give everything that I have. But then the future fights are going to be more difficult because they're going to be at that penalty. Yeah, I think that's that's a good good form. I uh recently structured a Halloween one-off that turned into potentially like three more sessions, but the main villains in that permanently drop your, uh, with levels of essentially fear, drop your constitution. Oof, that's, that's rough. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's meant to be. Uh, and then if you die, you, you will inevitably turn into one of them. So, but was thinking about that dropping dropping some uh, ability scores permanently is a, you know, it's, it's major. You can't, you can't get those points back. Yeah, it's true. And it's, it's kind of, it's kind of like a, I don't know, double, like on, on one hand, it's not an ability. If it's, if it is intelligence, it's not an ability that any of them really use consistently at all, but they, they will in certain circumstances. And I don't think anyone's going to have very good roles to begin with. Yeah, in terms of their saving throws. So, but yeah, like in terms of other than like dropping their stats, uh, if they if they go to zero in that environment, uh, if they choose to bail out early to avoid the permanent repercussion, like what do you think? 
what do you think would be good for a t- like temporary setbacks or temporary penalties? I think it would be fun for them to have a level of memory loss. I know that I, I think that that's a little tricky with player to character, but like no memory of what happened in that mindscape of, of Elwyn. I don't know that that can be explained relatively quickly by the other characters, but who knows how long that they're going to be in that space for. And while the person who dropped a zero will be out of it. So being confused, waking up in a space with this crystal and Elwyn and the other party members and not understanding maybe what's happening. And then separate from the other characters having to make choices based on a lack of memory um, as like an immediate effect. The the second you said memory loss, I was thinking you were going to say like that they, you know, for a certain period of time that they lose, like just roll a random spell or something like they, they forget oh. that spell or something like that. That would be fun too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, a level of whatever it is was in their mind was lost in the, the mindscape somewhere. Yeah. Going back to what you said about, like their short-term memory loss about what happened. And even if they, cause we had, we had talked about the, uh, the Gith Yankee being able to sort of make this encounter possible. So if, if suddenly some, one of the players wakes up and they're in this room with, and they don't remember quite how they got there or who this creature is, <laughs> it'd be interesting for them to role play what happens next. Yeah. Yeah. Some fun, uh, fun role play story is always good i'm drawing a blank on some some temporary effects potentially like taking away spell slots or a number of spell slots for magic users or other kind of like martial abilities like they have they forget how to use them for a period of time until they regain that memory back over like you said 24 hours or uh or something like that Oh, yeah, like suddenly their proficiency bonus is just gone for a day. Yeah, that's a good one. (laughs) Yeah, but all sorts of great possibilities in terms of going, going like right outside the rules and saying, okay, well, now you forget how to use your, like you're not as good with your glaive or your bow. It's like the the thing that they, uh, the monk and the ranger use the most often. Suddenly it's like they're less confident. (laughs) Yeah, that's good. Or, uh, you know, Faye uh, loses the ability to effectively charm people, uh, what I think would be pretty devastating. Or can't turn invisible. Can't turn invisible, yeah. Forget, yeah. forgets. I could even just say, even if I just said forgets how to play the lute, I think she would <laughs> almost lose her mind. Yeah. Finding the, uh, the things that make the characters characters and um, taking that away from them for for a period of time. So lots of, lots of options for setbacks, which I like. Um, and if they manage to succeed, I think like the, the risk has to be equivalent to the benefit that they get from success because they may, they may succeed and also incur a whole bunch of various types of setbacks like this. So, I mean, apart from, apart from Elwin being, uh, able to sort of tell them the entire plan, the entire Mind Flayer plan, that is. And I'm sorry for springing this on you, but like the, it's just occurred to me now to ask. <laughs> um, what other benefits do you think that 
that they should gain from having him now fully fully healed, fully recomposed as a as an NPC that who's who's legitimately cured and fixed and on their side. I haven't even made stats for Elwyn, so I don't know how powerful he is. Like I in my mind he was just kind of like super intelligent and good at creating things, but not really like a very strong magic user. But um I'm I'm not ruling anything out at this point. So, uh again, sorry for springing this on you like this, but did you have any anything jump to mind? Yeah, uh, just the what you just said this very intelligent um and his ability to craft whether that is alchemy or tinkering with objects uh, or a combination of the both being able to create something for the characters um something significant whether that is a, a an object or creature that travels with them or improvements to armor or i thought about uh just now giving dogs something Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, like whether that is a potential potion to turn it into like kind of a a beast of a dog. Fun fun things like structuring for potion making because of his um what I see is like a background in alchemy as well as creating mechanical things for the party. Not necessarily traveling with them, but um helping in in those ways and what he knows to do best which is use his intelligence to improve and or help people yeah definitely and i think i think if if i hinted at the like (laughs) at the possibility of making like a collar for dog that turned him into like a dire wolf or something like that they would jump at that opportunity yeah potions too um they're always helpful would you think that he would I don't want to give them too strong of a of an edge, or too big of a of a benefit against the eventual showdown with the with the mind flares, whatever that ends up looking like. Something something to shield them from the mind flares' ability to like sense creatures, because one of the mind flares is. Uh, from from Volo's Guide to Monsters again. It's one of the. It's, I think it's called an Ulathard. It has six tentacles and it can sense, at like any creature within two miles of it, and like know the direction of it. But non detection or mind blank will hide a creature from that ability. So, what do you what do you think about? Because El- I think Elwin would know that they have this radar that's sort of always up. And being able to hide from that would be, I think, a pretty big benefit. Because any time that they got too close, like the the that mind flare would know whenever someone's getting, you know, very close to it, and it could just dimension door away. Uh, how about altering the crystal or orb to um, instead of picking up or holding the frequency for uh, mind flayers to hear and see through it? It um, completely blocks that off. Like it, it creates a magical barrier as long as the orb is in their possession to prevent them from seeing, hearing, or using their magical abilities to sense. That's really great. That leaves the option open for me if they lose that somehow. 
think the mind flayers, if they were aware that that sort of change had been made, then they might feel compelled to try to take that away from them. So it gives it gives sort of a yeah an added object that they have to protect. Yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. I, I know that the other things that you had mentioned that you wanted to touch on were uh, you wanted to talk a bit about the Thieves Guild and what their role at this stage of the campaign might be. And then we also talked about the Staff of Control, I think. Yeah, I have a couple of things for the Staff of Control. Uh, I just wrote down ability to give mental commands. I don't know if that was in general or with other constructs. I wanted to ask, too, does... Does Erizax need to maintain contact with the staff to use it? Yes. So I, I think there's, uh, in order to actually, I think, give new commands out to the uh, to the constructs, uh, he has to be wielding it and, and attuned to it. Um, if he doesn't have it in his possession, or if it's not currently in use, I think what my general thought was that the that the constructs will sort of um, default to their previous command. So it's not like someone has to be at the driver's, like at the driver's seat the, for the entire time. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's, uh, I wrote down requires attunement so that if he does lose hold of it, the players can't just pick it up and all of a sudden have a iron giants on their team. Yeah. That would be bad. Yes. I mean, I'm not, I'm not opposed to, I'm not opposed. I think they'll get it eventually, but I would like for that to happen as close to the to the very end as possible. Almost like a ticking clock sort of scenario where they have it, and you know the enemy is sort of trying to break down the door, and they're just trying to trying to survive. Um, I don't know. I have no idea how that'll play out. But yeah, I agree with you that I did not want them to just be able to pick it up and be like, "Oh, I win." Yeah. <laughs> Can't make it too easy. Uh, I have if the staff breaks, potentially having the iron guardians stop functioning altogether or kind of just run rampant and attacking whatever moves. <laughs> Interesting. So they would, you know, they wouldn't just attack player or uh, allies of the the characters but would would go after anything on that on that battlefield or whatever that turns out whatever it looks like yeah yeah it could be any of them that are within a certain distance from the staff are sort of uh uh over overtaking with this like surge this like discharge of of magical energy when the staff breaks and it it totally overrides their safeguards i guess did you ever see the movie chopping mall no (laughs) it's it's uh the funniest uh hour and seven minute horror movie you you might see uh it's about this uh this mall that hires hires (laughs) they they have these security robots that are basically uh like johnny five but lightning strikes them all and then they go on this killing spree because all of their safety protocols for not killing uh people at the mall get wiped out it's really something else (laughs) uh so yeah yeah something like that could be good uh also if they are in a very uh difficult or deadly encounter with erizax and and he's calling all these iron guardians maybe the way to win the encounter is to break the staff and and shut them all down 
Yeah. Because perhaps Arizax doesn't really want to engage and he's just happy to send wave after wave of these things at them and and the players would say, okay, we're getting nowhere with this. Like he's he's basically got this huge reservoir of resources and the only way that we can remove that from the equation is to is to destroy the staff. I think Elwin would probably be able to tell that to them. Like if you break the staff, then they'll cease functioning. Um, so that could be another benefit of uh, of them having rescued him. Yeah, a little more information about about the staff or how to fight Arizax. Mm-hmm. What do you think about having like a minimum like intelligence score to use it? I think that's good. It would tie in with a potential failure for bringing Elwin back too. Uh, if if it's more if it's that more severe and they dropped to zero hit points, but um, would make it much difficult, much more difficult to mm-hmm. take control. Yeah, I like I like both of those ideas of what to do with the staff in terms of if it breaks, the Iron Guardian sees functioning, or they go ballistic. Yeah, or uh, you know, potentially a handful, or some that some of them that have maybe looked like they've been damaged. You know, like the the malfunction thing happening. I don't. Uh, how many do you think you'll put into the campaign? How many Iron Guardians? Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Like the I I never settled on like a fixed number that they have. I just assumed that there was enough essentially to act as a police force. And or standing army in in the hundreds, I would say at the least there are. Uh, I would never think about using those as a like in an actual encounter unless uh, unless they somehow manage to. Well, this could be pretty epic if if they somehow manage to convince the the dwarves uh, Dane Rubii to bring his strength to to Pharaoh's point. Uh, but I would have to look up like rules for mass combat at that point. Yeah, that's I have no knowledge of what that could look like. Never, I've never made um, armies fight each other. Neither have I. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a lot. But I mean, that could be. Yeah, I'm, I'm always kind of thinking about these like really cinematic moments where you know to have like the the dwarf army come in on their airships. These are always things that I'm. I'm realizing that these are cinematic moments that um, they're not really involving the players. And I want the players, like the player characters, to be the ones who save the day when all is said and done, if they succeed. You know, on the, on the same hand, they've, they've done the work to sort of build this relationship with Dane. So, I mean, that should have its own benefits. And what do you think? I yeah I think that that's a good point. Um, even just sending in some uh, handful of best warriors, not necessarily a, a full army, but <clears throat> a bit of a task force to assist in uh, wh- whether that's trying to take down Arizax or infiltrating um, mind flayers, but a couple of NPCs to accompany them within whatever their plan might be, mm-hmm. whatever that whatever that turns out to be. Yeah, so I think I've got that gives me a better idea of of how to handle the staff. And uh you'd also mentioned uh the thieves guild. What did you want to discuss about them? Uh we just talked about potentially Martin having possession of an orb. Yep, 
and I'm not I'm not really sure what that looks like, whether he is a thrall or is being controlled by the mind flayers or is drawing some amount of power. There's the Yeah, so Martin creating his own kind of thralls through using the orb. And the mind flayers at some point in time possibly taking over Martin and all of the people that he's gathered as his followers uh, under this orb. So so him being potentially unaware of that, uh, that that is the Mind Flayer end goal for him for the Thieves Guild. That's a, that would be a pretty big blow. Like, yeah. what, <laughs> you're like, yes, I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not at all opposed to that. Um, like right now, I think they've just been more like acting like the eyes and ears for when the, uh, the party needs sort of an update on like what's happening. It could be like a really neat opportunity to have a schism in the, in the thieves guild where like a handful of them get away and, uh, make contact with Gilly. Like, okay, something's going on. Like something is off with Martin and, you know, we need to deal with this. And so that could be an opportunity for Gilly to sort of, like I kind of set him up to eventually take over the guild, Mm -hmm. but this could be an opportunity for him to essentially start his own. Yeah. That's a good point too. It seems like he has a pretty good rapport with not just Martin, but um, members of the Thieves Guild. They seem to trust him and um, want to be a part of uh, whatever the farm is or whatever that grows into. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It could be like the choice, the uh, the opportunity for them to make a choice to, like, if they get the orb away from Martin does that control cease to be a factor? So they could have the opportunity to essentially remove the mind flayer influence from, from him and from whoever is following him. Um, if they can get the orb and perhaps destroy it. So he could make it like a choice to try to, you know, save this, uh, NPC that he had, that he's kind of, I don't know if they're friends, but they're colleagues. Certainly. What do you think about that? Oh, that's good. Um, I I thought of Elwyn's hand potentially as well. If he alters the uh, crystal or orb, whatever you have that representation be, to help shield them, then the uh, if Gilly finds out about Martin's influence, he might be able to get a hold of that orb and then do a similar effect of altering, uh, having Elwyn alter that orb to either let the players take over uh, in a, in like a positive way of the, the orbs influence on, on other NPCs or um, just get rid of it altogether and have those people make a choice whether to stay in the thieves guild under Gilly's rule, obviously because Martin has been influencing these people by magic, not necessarily having them come on on their own free will, but yeah, that's, what uh, having Elwyn at least help help with that if they save him. Yeah, I really like that actually. Um, altering altering this uh, this other orb could, uh, like you said, yeah, maybe give them some shielding effects, or it could uh, eventually 
like being in its presence or it could just like reverse over time those effects so yeah uh, i dig that a lot something else that occurred to me in that like this isn't something that i've really had an opportunity to discuss with anyone is spruce's former uh, i guess the people that he used to know at the at the monastery now like way back in episode uh, 15 or 16 he encountered one person that he used to know from the monastery but i've been sort of keeping like in my back pocket the possibility of bringing in others including like the person that he studied under when he was there and like they've they've sort of become this doomsday cult of like believing that the world is living on borrowed time and that they want to accelerate its demise um and sort of siding with whatever faction uh is working towards that and originally like the the one that spruce encountered was siding with the the dragonborn because he believed that okay if we can unlock this gate all the dragons will come back and you know finish off what they started and and that'll be that but then i was like okay if they find out about the mind flayers they could be like okay well the mind flayers seem like they're more capable of of achieving this so we'll side with them like voluntarily without even being like slaves or thralls or anything uh but if they're also under the influence of this of this orb they could even have been the ones to to give it to uh, Martin in the first place. Then that gives both Gilly and Spruce the incentive to to fix it and reverse those effects so that they can save these, like redeem these these people. Yeah, I, I like that a lot. Uh, I really enjoy tying in backstory to uh, or character background into the story. I think it improves playability or interest in. Uh, what's happening for the players so i I think that's great his uh turning his old master into a a monk flare oh i'm adding flare onto the back of anything (laughs) i'm on board for it (laughs) awesome the master would be a you know another one of those up close heavy hitters similar to agarand and what that might look like for for combat is you know that that's exciting to me yeah, I've been I've been trying to come up with like a, a another creating villains episode for the monk, and uh, like I've been really like not just uh, due to a shortage of of time like working on the Kickstarter stuff, but kind of like wrestling with the idea of like what a monk is. It's just like it's it's a it's a fighter of a different kind, but like the way the way that you like read it in the player's handbook. They sound like the way that if you didn't know that you were reading about a monk, you would think that you were reading about a Jedi. Yeah. Like their their mind is as much of a weapon as their body is. And so they're like fighters, but their their main weapon is like their their mind. Like in fourth edition, they were like all their attacks were psionic. And even the Unearthed Arcana, uh, the, the mystic class using psionic abilities actually had certain like attacks and, and abilities that were like had the same name as the as monk abilities from fourth edition, so it seemed like in fifth edition like they missed this opportunity to make the monk like the, the like a psionic class from the beginning instead of a martial class. Um, I don't know where I was going with that, but <laughs> uh, a monk flare would definitely be like like hyper hyper psionic. Awesome, yeah, that's uh, 
That's good too. I I mean I know that you currently have a lot going on as far as just the D and D world goes. So I taking information from fourth edition would probably help with that. Yeah, yeah. I uh, <laughs> uh, I was looking at the fourth edition monster manual and the picture that they have for the mind flayers really made me laugh because they. Like the mind, I, just from from this campaign, like the idea I have of the mind flares is that they like refuse to engage in combat, or they they only do it as a very last resort. But like the 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 fourth edition picture for them is like they're they're like assassins almost. It kind of made me chuckle. Little, uh, do they just does it show it as kind of being menacing or? Yeah, yeah. It's like they're ready. It's like they're ready to fight, and they like. It's a cool picture. The only reason that it laughed is because it, it was completely antithetical to the to the idea I have of them in in fifth edition. Yeah, There's like yeah. different different kinds of mind flayers. There's like yeah, like uh, an assassin type and like a controller type. Yeah, it was it was neat. And and actually reading the fourth edition uh, stats for them gave me the idea for um, when we talked about Agarand's psychic blast. Like t- making other mind flares invisible. Mm-hmm. That's something I kind of borrowed from from Fourth. Anyways, sorry, and that was a bit of a tangent. I don't know, but yeah, um, it's like Spruce's character is is all about um, like he's he doesn't like to kill people, and he has really tried to to like when he fights someone, he's like trying to to save something. So giving giving that option to yeah, try to redeem his his former masters would be, I think, a pretty huge character moment for him. Yeah, that's that's good. Ties some some more uh, emotional aspects into it for sure. That's it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening, and a big thank you again to Connor for helping me out on this episode and for supporting the podcast. We really truly appreciate it, and for everyone else, we're just gonna let the outro music take it away because it's so epic. Like dun 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 dun. dun.